Welcome to Prince Track by Track presents Steve Wonder Classics. Today we're going to be talking about I believe parentheses when I fall in love. This time it will be forever. I don't know what that. There's a lot of words in that. Uh, I think it's just when I fall in love it will be forever. Um, you know, uh, it. I, I don't know why, but Stevie Wonder for some reason just really loved parentheses. Like, you know, we've already had you and I can conquer the world on this one. We had you know Superwoman. Where were you when I needed you the most? It's like. Um, he really felt the need to put stuff in parentheticals. Um, it is the final track from Talking Book, released on the 28th of October 1972, and it is just Stevie on the track, although he did co-write this, um, as he did the final track of Song Side A uh, with Yvonne Wright, um, you know, which means she contributed twice as many songs as Syrita did to this particular album. Uh, the track is 4 minutes 50, and joining me to talk about today is Gina Radcliffe. Hello, Gina. Hello. Um, now, I think before we get into the ins and outs of the song, uh, I feel like it's important, you know, for me to say that, you know, this is the song that effectively got me into um, Stevie Wonder's 70s output. Um, you know, I heard it at the end of the film High Fidelity, the 2000 John Cusack classic, um, and... Uh, you know, it plays over the end credits. Uh, one of seventy needle drops that are in that at that film. Apparently, <laughs> there's seventy different films that get played. Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's a it's it, even though it came out in two thousand, it is a a key ninety style. You don't remember much about the movie, but it had a great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, that apparently they listened to over two thousand songs to pick the soundtrack. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, during the film, they also mention both Peter Frampton and Art Garfunkel, and they also diss Stevie Wonder, mostly for his 80s output, which, I, you know, uh, his 80s output, should I say, which I cannot disagree with. I mean, you know, there's a... There's no, a... no, they are perfectly reasonable. <laughs> like, the, uh, the the whole Cosby sweater sequence was related to I Just Called to Say I Love You, which was uh, not a great... I mean, it was his most successful song, and yet also his worst song, so so that 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 kind of tells you something about the the listening taste of the American public. Yeah, and um, you know, so like, obviously, it gets to the end of that film after John Cusack, whose character I think these days would be viewed slightly differently. Basically, a guy who enjoys listing things. Um, you know, which you know, I mean, basically, he's the internet incarnate these days. Um, but also, he seems like a reasonably terrible person because he's decided to make a list of his girlfriends and, you know, he goes to apologise to them for being a terrible boyfriend or something. I mean, it's been like 19 years since I saw the film. And honestly, the only thing that I really took away from it was two things. One, this song, because, you know, the end credits start, this plays, and I was like, what the hell is this song? <laughs> and then, you know, like five minutes later, I'm like, I've really got to, like, get my hands on a copy of that song from somewhere. Like, I don't know what that song is, but, like, it sounds amazing. Um, and then also uh, Jack Black can sing. And what's really weird in that film as well is there's this whole thing where John Cusack doesn't want to go and see Jack Black's band because he thinks it's going to be embarrassing that Jack Black can't sing. And obviously, if you don't know who Jack Black is, I mean, you know, in 2000, who knew who Jack Black was? Yeah, he was not he, he was not Jack Black just just yet. He was still a kind of supporting character yeah and so it's kind of funny because for the whole film you're like oh my god we're gonna we're gonna end up seeing this guy performing and it's gonna be terrible and embarrassing and then like the main kind of like plot point is john cusack gets there and he's like he's actually good and <laughs> he can actually sing and it's like i mean you know 
he can sing, but not, you know, not as good as Stevie Wonder, which, you know, like 10 minutes after that, you then follow up with this song and you're like, yeah, okay, Jack Black was okay, but, you know, at least he wasn't cringy, but he's, <laughs> I don't know what this song is, but this is like 20,000 times better than whatever I've watched in this film. Um, so, yeah, this is kind of, without this, I, you know, I don't know that I would have ever bothered to kind of get into Stevie Wonder's 70s output. And I think it's funny because... Um, you know, like I could have bought the soundtrack to um, to High Fidelity, but I chose not to because I think at the time it was something ridiculous, like twenty pounds on CD, and I was like, I'm not paying, I'm not paying that much. Um, but all of Stevie Wonder's like seventies <laughs> albums were like three for twelve pound or something, so I was like, well, you know, that seems <laughs> it seems like if I pick up like this and Inner Visions and, and you know for Finland's first finale, that's twelve quid, and I'm sure I'm getting a lot more songs. Um, so I just kind of took a chance and I was like, I'll just buy these albums because they're all kind of around the same time period. But effectively, I was buying like three albums for one song, um, you know, and that was but also. But that turns that turns out to be smart shopping. Yes. Yeah. And the weird, th the weird thing is that's kind of also how I sort of got into Prince as well was like, you know, I liked the song um, Get Off. Um, you know, I didn't, as a teenager, have the forethought to think, buy it on a single or anything like that. So I asked for the album, you know, at Christmas, just so I could listen to that one song. And then, of course, I ended up listening to the rest of the album. And then, you know, that is how I became a Prince fan. So, um, you know, a similar kind of thing happened here where, you know, I just listened to the one song and then I was like, that's it. Like, you know, but, and, and the thing is, as well, is like, I didn't just immediately like skip to listening to the, you know, to just this one song. I went through the entire album and, you know, by the time I got to this song, I was like, this entire album is like, you know, 10 very good songs. Um, and, you know, then I listened to like Inner Visions and Fulfilling This and I was like, you know, what the hell's going on? Like, how did this guy end up writing I Just Called to Say I Love You? Like, it just, it like, it feels like there's something kind of missing. Like, I was missing a step there between what happened, you know, between, you know, in the decade between this album and then, you know, the rest of his output basically after 1980. Um, yeah, know, yeah. It, it, he he very much went for you know, very middle of the road radio hits after that. Like I I recall, I don't know if this ever landed in the UK, but he did a whole song about not driving drunk, which which was so it was like this very peppy <laughs> song about how you how you shouldn't be driving while intoxicated. That do you know what's weird is there's a lot of songs on the on this output um, that include Stevie Wonder talking about how bad drugs are. Um, and not just like, you know, a detriment to society, but personally, you shouldn't be doing drugs is <laughs> like the message of some of his songs from this this time period. Also, you know, the oppression of black people and various other things like that. But there is this like one or two tracks during this time where Stevie's like, don't anybody ever take drugs. And it, and it, you're kind of like, oh, all right, then, Stevie, um, I feel like you were being a little bit prudish there. But, you know. Uh, that's that's his kind of that was his kind of uh, you know that's what he wanted to sing about. And obviously, he must he extended that then to drunk driving. Apparently, I mean, I wasn't even aware that that song existed. So, um, yeah, you yeah. got. I, I think it's literally called "Don't Drive Drunk." I I, I, will, <laughs> I will try to take it up and send it to you. Oh come on, Stevie! At least try and hide it in a clever title or something. Don't just like <laughs> go straight out there. Um, you know, as a footnote to High Fidelity, it's worth saying that um, thirteen years ago tomorrow, as this episode uploads. Uh, was the start of High Fidelity as a Broadway musical. Of course, these days, literally everything has a Broadway musical, um, you know, and it's very hard to keep up, you know, Beetlejuice, Heathers, um, I don't know, Mean Girls, Legally Blonde. Um, like, literally any film that's ever been made is t being turned into, like, a Broadway musical. Uh, High Fidelity obviously missed that wave because it was only, uh, you know, playing on Broadway for three weeks and then it closed. So, <laughs> so 
uh, which is weird because I would think that this would naturally, like, if you could adapt all the different songs that appear on the soundtrack, you know, and you finish with, like, everybody in the cast singing, I believe, When I Fall in Love, I mean, like, that feels like that would naturally be a hit, but, uh, um, you know, it was not to be. Uh, more puzzling given that High Fidelity itself was not a hit um, in terms of like the box office. It had a budget of like 30 million. Apparently half of that went towards the rights for different songs, um, you know, and it only made like 47. So um, it has like 97 or something on Rotten Tomatoes. So it did well critically, but at the box office, people were like, do I really want to watch John Cusack be mopey for two hours? Yeah, I think I feel like it would do a little better now again, because you know, he's very much an Internet guy, like before Internet guys really existed. Like the whole thing with his with his friends, Jack Black, and I think uh, Todd Luizzo is the other the other friend that worked in the in the record store, they just spend all of their time just categorizing things, which is the lifeblood of of, of, of internet pop culture. So I, I think it actually would do better now. I mean, it's a, I mean, I feel like High Fidelity Two would be all about people ranking stuff on the internet and um, stuff like that. So uh, you know, give me a call, John Cusack. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sure I could I'm sure I could knock out ninety pages about people ranking stuff on the internet. Um, yeah, so that I mean that was kind of how I got into this song, and also basically how I got into Stevie Wonder in you know the seventies. Without this song, then you know the, the I, I mean I'm, I I wouldn't probably even be bothering to do this project um, unless somebody else was like I really like Stevie Wonder in the seventies. Would you want to be like a co-host or something? Now I might be like okay, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the thing that's been kind of fun up to this point, kind of doing the project as well, has been like you know introducing some people that I've had a guest on previous podcasts just to listen to some of the stuff from the 70s and they are also like you know Stevie Wonder was really really great in the 70s what happened um and you know I don't know that I can ever answer that question I feel like the thing that happened is everybody caught up to Stevie Wonder you know he was so far ahead of his time um you know if you look at the release schedules of the like the albums that he put out um you know in the in the 70s like you know this is the third album that i'm covering you know this is the third album that i'm finishing from this period um but where i'm coming from only came out april 71 and then this came out in you know october 72 so barely in the space of like you know 18 months he's gone from you know where i'm coming from through music on my mind he's also recorded an album with sirita and then he's at talking book and it's less than a year before we get inner visions and then again less than a year after that before we get fulfilling his first finale so you know you're talking about someone uh, yeah and these are all really deeply personal songs too like i i always think of um uh, isn't she lovely that that samples like his own child's like crying and if you listen to the end it's like you can hear him talking to her and she's giving he's apparently giving her a bath and it's like that's yeah. like, such a sweet really personal <laughs> thing to put in a song recordings of yourself like bathing your child it actually gets like it gets to be like very emotional to hear it yeah and and i think as well you know that is that's kind of the you know the sentiment almost that's in this song as well like is you know, it, it, I, I mean, given how quickly Stevie was recording these albums and how much stuff he was putting out, this to me feels like a song that was written while he was 
you know, together with Cyrita rather than <laughs> rather than six months after they broke up, which is kind of, you know, where where the album is. Or this could be an indication of, you know, like he's met somebody else who is, you know, the, the kind of inspiration for this song. Well, yeah, there's there's a there's a lot of references to, you know, having getting a second chance to fall in love. And he says, like, uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm so happy I found someone to believe in again, which is which yeah. is, you know, that sounds a lot like, you know, the, the relationship you get into after a previous relationship ends badly i mean and also th- some of the some of the like sentiment from um uh, the uh, the opening track of this album um you know where where he's he's saying in that you know um i mean obviously everyone knows the, the kind of the the kind of like the chorus to you are the sunshine of my life but in the verses he's very much saying i was lost and i didn't know what i was doing and then i found this person and you know if i hadn't found you i'd be drowning in my own tears <laughs> so like um, you know, that's very much a song about him kind of, you know, being very lost and then obviously being found by kind of Sarita. Um, and then this song does feel a little bit like, you know, he's still kind of expressing that kind of that sentiment when he opens up with the, you know, shattered dreams, worthless years here on my case to hollow shell. And it's like, oh, my Lord, like things have taken a turn uh, since like, you know, opening the album with You Are the Sunshine of My Life. Um, but then obviously when, like when he says, yeah, you know, when he says, you know, someone, you know, he's falling in love again, you know, obviously that's what comes, you know, as we get to the outro. And so it's like, yeah, it does, this does feel like he's met whoever, you know, followed Cyrita, which I think is the mother of Aisha who is on, isn't she lovely? Um, but I, I just love that, like, it's kind of almost the same sentiment. It's like, you know, he was kind of a lost teenager and then he kind of fell in love with Cyrita. And that's the sentiment that's expressed at the beginning of this album. And then by the end of the album, you know, after a few songs where, you know, she's made some other plans and there's been some Tuesday heartbreak and, you know, he's blaming it on the sun. He then finally reaches this point where he it seems like he's found somebody else who, you know, he is kind of giving him the same emotions that he did when he met Cyrita. Obviously, Stevie's like a big emotion guy, you know, like... Um, you know, as soon as he breaks up with someone, then he's, you know, inside a hollow shell. And then, of course, he, you know, he, he meets somebody else and, you know, he's going to he's going to fall in love with them and, and it's going to be forever. Um, of course, before the end of the 70s, he would have broken up with this person <laughs> and he would have married somebody else. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. He just he just feels like a, a kind of serial monogamist, um, kind of in the way that Prince was always a bit of a serial monogamist. You know, Prince didn't go around, you know, with in relationships with many different people. He tended to stick with one person for, you know, two or three years and then, you know, he would eventually get bored and break up with them. Um, but, you know, Stevie just seems to be this kind of person who is like, particularly here as like in his early 20s, he is very much like the kind of the big gesture guy, the guy who kind of falls in love and doesn't just say that he's in love with someone, but it's going to be forever. Like, that's that's what I love about this song is like, it's such a huge like statement. Yeah, it's like it's kind of like it's a little bit the equivalent of getting someone's name tattooed on you when you start using words like, you know, I know it's going to be forever. It's just like, mm, is it though? <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of dooming yourself really really yeah right out the door there yeah um and I, I, the thing as well that i love about this song is just how it is so like i mean uh, kind of the 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 construction of it is so great like the you know the the kind of short intro at the beginning where you you just have like the clavinet and you've got the the bass and you get you know like the my favorite thing about this song is how um stevie plays the drums on the chorus but he doesn't play them on the verses. Um, so on the verses, he's pretty much like always just on cymbals, um, which is something that, you know, he was like his, his kind of playing style in terms of the drums. He was always very heavy on kind of like cymbals and, you know, an open hi-hat. And so that's what we get kind of in the in the verses. Um, and then when we get to the chorus, before the kind of first and second chorus, we get this little drum fill 
and then you know the chorus kind of kicks in and i just love the way that kind of you know we have these two different moods like um you know after the i mean the introduction is fantastic and and you know it's it's one of those things that when you listen to it you're like oh yes this is that's all stevie wonder and <laughs> that's why he's a genius is like he's able to kind of just set the mood perfectly with this little introduction and then when he comes in with just those you know the shattered dreams um and then immediately like you know just against the kind of the mood base and you're like okay something has clearly gone on here <laughs> like um just the way he kind of comes in and and you know, when when he says, you know, life began, then was done. You're like, oh, okay, all right. Then I I, I think I get where he's why he's talking about, um, you know. And now I stare in a cold and empty well. And it's like, um, I also love how kind of emo the whole thing is. Like, if you know, um, I, I feel like if you could get My Chemical Romance to cover this, it would be like the most emo <laughs> song ever committed to. Like, it's just so like the the verses are so kind of emo. And then when you get to the choruses, that's where you kind of feel the joy because that's when the whole band comes in. That's when you get the drums and you get everything in there. And I think it's so clever for Stevie to kind of contrast the two. Yeah, it's 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 you know you you mentioned how how young he is and it's it's really hard to believe he was like twenty three, no, not even like twenty one or twenty two, and he recorded this song. And it's just like, yeah, I guess a twenty two year old would really feel that dramatic about about a breakup. You know, just, just, you know, you, you're, you're, you're just an empty shell. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you get to be a certain point after a certain age, you're like, well, you know, you'll get over it eventually, <laughs> but no one wants to, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, when you listen to the song, um, uh, the, the blower's daughter by, uh, by, by Damien Rice, where he's just very dramatic and he says like, you know, you know, I can't take my eyes off you. And then right at the very end, he says, till I find someone new. And then I, I really love how that's kind of like a more mature, kind of realistic, you know, break up song then then you know just you know you left me and i'll i'll never recover i'm just laying here like you know just a broken spirit and i i mean as well you know um stevie i mean obviously yvonne wright is is kind of co-writing this with stevie and i feel like um you know this is something i've mentioned before with her collaborations with stevie and something i'll bring up you know later on um if the kind of the the poetry of like the kind of the lead into the chorus when it's like the many sounds that meet our ears and our sights behold you know like that feels like kind of Yvonne Wright's, you know, you know, contribution um, on this album. There's been, you know, seven tracks that Stevie wrote by himself. And I don't think there's anything kind of that complex being in there, um, you know, and this, you know, will open up our merging hearts and feed our empty souls. Again, super emo, but it's a bit more kind of poetic than the normal kind of Stevie love song. Um, you know, and the chorus just feels like 100% Stevie. That's the, like, so these, these verses and stuff, even though it is very dramatic, um, it does feel it's been kind of influenced by Von Wright's, um, you know, kind of songwriting, uh, which is, you know, something that is kind of very noticeable when, when Stevie has collaborators, uh, you know, the, the kind of lyrics get a bit more complex. Um, but still, I mean, I just love as it kind of leads into the chorus and you get that tiny little kind of drum fill. And then you have this weird thing that Stevie does, which is, I mean, obviously he's laying his vocals in this anyway, um, but he kind of sings, I believe when I fall in love with you, it will be forever. And he sings that twice, actually. But the second time underneath the kind of the, the kind of backing vocal sings this time, it will be forever. So he kind of he's singing with you and this time over the top of each other. And it's a, just a really it's a really weird touch where it's like, hold on a second. <laughs> like when you're listening to it, you're like, did I miss here? Like which lyric was like each time you listen to it one, like either you hear with you or you hear this time. Um, but he's singing both at the same time over each other and they don't match. And, you know, 
obviously Stevie's voice is, is fantastic, so they do kind of match, but the words deliberately kind of clash against each other, uh, particularly like the first time he sings it. And then as he gets into the later verses, he starts doing this thing, which we'll obviously have to talk about, where he starts laying other vocals in there. Um, but that's the first kind of hint at it. It's just this kind of little clash of these two words the second time he sings that line. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're back to kind of the kind of the symbols um, and, you know, the kind of the, the kind of the lack of the drum beat, basically, uh, as we go back to the verse. Um, you know, and we have this, you know, without despair, we will share and <laughs> the joys of caring will not be replaced. Um, and there's like a little kind of drum fill as the will not be replaced comes in. Um, and I just love the, you know, what has been must never end. And with strength, we won't have been erased. And it's like. You know, again, super dramatic, but I just kind of love, um, you know, the way kind of Stevie's doing it. And then when he has the the kind of the lead into the next chorus and he sings, when the truths of love are planted firm, they won't be hard to find. You have these little kind of symbols just on each word. And it's just, I don't know, it's kind of perfection. Um, and of course, he says, the words of love I speak to you will echo in my mind. And, you know, that's such a, a kind of wonderfully kind of poetic. I imagine there are many mixtapes in the 80s that feature this song. And you know, I I can imagine people mouthing along to those oh, words. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's the it's the it's, it's in the best in the best way possible. Like he wrote he wrote like <laughs> the perfect like wedding song, like the like a song for like, yeah. a couple to do their first um, dance to. But yeah, just you know that kind of the words of love I speak to you will echo in my mind. That is the you know that's the kind of the last. We only have these two verses. Um, and that's kind of the end of that verse. And then we kind of, I love as well how before we go into the kind of, you know, we're starting to get towards the outro, but the first time we we get this kind of mm from him just as he goes into that, I believe, again. Um, and then when he finishes this kind of the third chorus, he does this layering of the word ever, you know. So after the, you know, it'll be forever, he just holds that ever and he just layers it like four times. And he does this wonderful little ow just as we kind of go into the outro. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just a wonderful little touch. And then the rest of the song is this kind of amazing thing where you have the repetition of, you know, I believe when I fall in love with you, it'll be forever. Again, occasionally oh, underneath he'll sing, you know, this time it'll be forever. Um, and that's the first thing that just keeps going pretty much for the rest of the song. You know, we're talking at this point, uh, I don't know, at least like three, maybe two, two and a half minutes of just him singing that over and over again. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a, yeah, and then there's like a, like a, like a, like a key change at the, at the end, and like Patrick's just like, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, funky outro at the, at the, at the end. Yeah, but before we get to that, we have this layering of, you know, he keeps singing that, and then he adds, I'm so glad that I found someone. Uh, to believe in again and that that kind of then starts getting put in between um and those those kind of go on for about a minute and then he starts he starts singing underneath you know believing god and he will answer your prayers and he's like you know um god has surely answered my prayer and he keeps changing that to you know god will surely answer your prayers and then you know there's a point where towards the end just before we get into the kind of key change he just yells thank you god and it's just like even if you're not even if you're like a total like an atheist that's just like a really like powerful moment. <laughs> yeah. like if i get like if i get like if i'm like in a certain mood i and i listen to that whole sequence i'm just like the tears are just like welling in my eyes it's such a, such a emotional moment yeah and the thing is you know I, again I, i'm not religious in any way this is something i've mentioned on other you know other episodes of this and particularly you know uh, to do with prince as well and you know he was obviously had a, a certain level of you know spirituality or religiosity throughout his time and 
you know, when he just keeps layering, you know, the, the kind of first of all, the kind of, you know, I believe when I fall in love with you will be forever over the top of I'm so glad I found someone to believe in again. And then he keeps adding, you know, God will surely answer your prayers. You know, God has answered my prayers. And then just that kind of that yell of, you know, thank you, God. Like it's it's so amazing. Just the kind of the it's just basically all his voice. Um, you know, and then, like you say, it does then go to the intro at about, you know, four minutes, 11, and he just sings, come on, let's fall in love. And then then it kind of changes and it just turns into this, you know, you're the woman I've been waiting for. You're the girl that I really adore. Uh, come on, let's fall in love. And just over the top of that, you know, don't you want to, don't you want to just like kind of lay it over. And it's just, you know, by itself, you know, just that outro would be amazing. But the fact that it's at the end of this song that's already had so many amazing parts to it, uh, I don't know, it's just, it kind of just shows you how much of a genius he was. And like you say, it's still kind of in his early 20s, basically. <laughs> like, still, like, you know, whatever you had achieved by age 22, Stevie Wonder had already kind of, already outdone everybody with just recording this one song. Um, and, you know, we still have three more albums left where he kind of, it gets even better, you know, with, with each song. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I love every part of this song. It's so kind of, you know, it, and when I was, I remember, you know, distinctly, cause I saw high fidelity for my birthday in the year 2000. So I remember sitting in the cinema with, you know, four or five of my friends who had, uh, earlier that day we had gone bowling and then we had, uh, you know, decided we would see high fidelity. Uh, I originally wanted to see the film pitch black, but it was, it's release date over here was bumped back like by four months. So unfortunately I did not get to see that until a few months later. Um, and I just remember sitting in the cinema as this played and just being so ama- like every part of it, just like just the drums and the little kind of drum fills and then just the addition of each vocal and like the layering of everything. And just like for like five minutes, just kind of sitting there and just listening to this song in the cinema and being like, what is going like every stage of this song? You, you kind of think that Stevie has kind of done, you know, topped himself. And then he gets to the outro and he it kind of takes it in a completely different direction. And it's just as amazing as the rest of the song. And it's, you know, and then he just kind of hits a fade out. Um, and, you know, that's where the album finishes. And, you know, when you listen to the album, you're like, straight away, I just want to immediately go straight back to You Are the Sunshine of My Life and start all over again, <laughs> you know, because it's, yep. you know, it's such an amazing exactly. album, um, you know. And I feel like people are kind of used to me giving these high grades to these songs. Um, so I'm definitely going to say uh, six out of five. I mean, you know, it's 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 a work of art. This song is just amazing. It's like it's and the fact that like, you know, obviously it's co-written with, you know, Yvonne Wright. And, you know, she is an important part of kind of um, certainly the kind of the lyrical contribution to this song, I would say. I mean, you know, the, the kind of verses do bear her hallmarks, but just Stevie singing the words, I believe when I fall in love, it'll be forever and layering it over himself. That's what sells this song. Like it doesn't matter how good everything else is just that chorus. This could be six minutes of that chorus and nothing else. And it would still be, you know, a masterpiece of a song. And just the fact that Stevie is on every single instrument. And this is, you know, this is how he's finishing this album. You know, there's a lot of tracks on this album that have got other people on them, including, you know, Ray Parker Jr. And, you know, Denise Williams and Jeff Beck on the previous track. Like there's a lot of kind of other really great musicians who are on this album. But Stevie, you know, obviously puts his faith in himself and he's like, I'm going out, you know, by myself on top. That's how this album's going to finish. You don't need anybody else kind of contributing anything. You just need Stevie singing. Um, and it's such a great finish to the album. Yeah, this is this is a this is like a weapons grade love song. You know, you don't you don't put this on a on a mixtape unless you really really mean it to the person you're giving it yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and then you know, of course, 
the the kind of the irony is then literally like the next year he releases like Living for the City and Don't You Worry About a Thing. <laughs> You're like, oh, I guess he still had like there was still uh, you know one extra level that Stevie Wonder had. Um, and then, of course, after that, he does songs in the key of life. So it's like, you know, it's amazing that this isn't even this is kind of like the halfway point of the, the kind of these albums. But Stevie isn't even kind of like reached, you know, like, you know, six out of ten in terms of the effort that he's putting in. He's, you know, he, he still has more to kind of give. And it's it's just kind of amazing that, you know, this is this is like him just finishing this album and being like, you know, don't worry once we get to the next album, I still have, like, even more. <laughs> like, if you think Stevie Wonder is great, he's still going to get even better for the next few albums. Um, and, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. kind of amazing just to think that he even, ha- like, kind of had that in him. Um, but then again, you know, he's in his 20s. When you're in your 20s, you can kind of get stuff done. So <laughs> it's kind of understandable. You, you got that boundless energy. God, I miss that so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, for me, six out of five. I mean, it's just perfect. Yeah, yeah. I can't I, I can't rate it because it is perfect. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And and I, I think as well, like, it's, it's a great finish to the album as well. Like, I think you could have, you know, you, this album, it, like the way that Stevie's programmed it is so kind of perfect. Each track kind of really works with, you know, with, with the next track. And obviously he'd kind of put some thought into, you know, the, the contrasting between stuff like, you know, you are the sunshine of my life and maybe your baby and, you know, you and I against Tuesday heartbreak. Like, so he, you know, he's obviously put some effort into kind of thinking about the layout of the album and, and how each song is going to be. And this is just the perfect, like, I don't know that you could put this earlier in the album. It would kind of exhaust you. And I don't think you would be able to kind of listen to anything else. Like, you know, it just, it's just a perfect kind of finish to the album. Um, and also kind of a nice way you know for stevie to kind of start to get over his wife like this is like this album is very much kind of 50 percent divorce 50 percent honeymoon and so it's it's kind of it feels like at the end here when like you say when he says you know again he's found someone to fall in love with again and he is kind of echoing the sentiments from the first track of the album where you know he's saying that he felt lost and you know you kind of get the glimmer that you know maybe he's you know he's found somebody else and he's ready to kind of move on um, you know, and you kind of you get that impression as well within Visions. Like you know, uh, it's it's a much more kind of political album and a lot less like you know fifty percent love songs. Um, and so it's it feels like he has kind of you know finally excised his demons about Sirita by the end of this album and and kind of moved on. Um, you know, of course, like two years later, he produced another album for us. So, <laughs> so you know, he never fully moved on from Sarita. You know, they stayed good friends. So, but it just feels like you know, as a, as an artist, this is such a perfect way to finish an album. And, oh yeah. You know, there are very few albums I think that that finish this strongly. Like there's some albums where I'm like, I don't know, Purple Rain's finishes with Purple Rain. That's a pretty good finish to an album. <laughs> um, but you know, but other than that, it's like sometimes it's it's like you've got good albums, and then when they finish, you're like, okay, I guess the album's over. But with this, it's like you know, he's announcing it. He's like, this is the end of the album. Like, you know, I've moved on from Sirita. I'm you know, I'm finding somebody else. You know, wait less than a year, and there'll be another Stevie Wonder album out, and it'll be even better than this one. And um, you know, I just kind of love that about Seventy Stevie. It's just how how much he still like every single time you kind of get to a point where you think he's given as much as he can it's like oh no no he's still got some more tricks up his sleeve he's still got he's still got some great vocals coming up and you know like as this album goes on like i you know i love you know the kind of vocal performance on um you know you are the sunshine of my life but like this this song feels like so mature compared to that and it's just like you know the other end of the album 
Um, and I just kind of, you know, I kind of just love how, how much he's kind of progressing. Um, and then, of course, you know, over the next few albums, his vocals get even better. And, you know, it kind of puts everybody to shame as to exactly, you know, whatever you were doing in your 20s. You definitely weren't, you know, doing as much as Stevie Wonder did. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, could, I could barely handle I could barely handle going to school and, and having a job at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, now, it's been covered a number of times by people who aren't as good as Stevie Wonder. Um, you know, in particular, for some reason, I don't know why, but in the se- in the kind of late 70s, a bunch of kind of white guys decided that they could convey the emotion of this song. And, you know, as much as Terry Sylvester and Peter Frampton and Art Garfunkel tried, they did not convey the emotion of this song. Um, and their covers are okay. Uh, the Sergio Mendes cover is actually quite good so if anybody wants to listen to that I'd say it's like a 4 out of 5 but those are the guys you know 3 out of 5 at best um, George Michael who you know I keep mentioning on this podcast because for some reason he really loved covering Stevie Wonder songs uh, there's a live version that he did and you know it's against George Michael had such a beautiful voice uh, it's you know it's it's weird because it's almost kind of like a very 80s version of what this song would be um so kind of the instrumentation doesn't feel as kind of involved as stevie stuff uh, but it's still you know a really good version and george michael's got a great voice so you know it's worth giving it a listen uh, i would say unlike uh, tina arena's cover version which i do not know what she was doing with that song but she i i don't know she completely messed it up uh, but you know that was the 90s um and then most recently and i don't think i've actually men- mentioned this on any of the pre- previous tracks um macy gray did a track for track cover of everything on talking book and I, I don't know why she felt the need to do that, but she did. Um, and I, I quite like her version of this. Um, you know, her, obviously she's got a very specific voice. Um, but, you know, I think she kind of acquitted her well. Um, I'd say maybe three and a half out of five. But, you know, uh, I, I don't know why people feel that they can kind of cover this song and get away with it. Uh, because, you know, as with a lot of kind of Stevie stuff from around this time, it's very much kind of his emotions that are in the song. Um, and I, I don't know that any of them really get to match the emotions. Even George Michael, it's mostly a competent cover version. Like, he's getting the, you know, he's saying the words right, and he's, you know, he's he's getting the notes right. Yeah, but... it's, it's, no, it's no by no, but you got to really just kind of have throw your entire part yeah. into it, and if you if it's not there, it's not there. I think that, the, the you know, the, the issue that we have, I mean... Uh, I don't I don't like, you know, judge George Michael's life, um, but I feel like there was a period, you know, particularly when he was fighting with Sony and before he was outed, where he was singing stuff as though he was still heterosexual. And I don't think he, it's fully convincing, um, you know, like and, and, and no, I think no. and I think this is one of those times where he's covering a song and if he was like out I think the emotion would be different, but as it is, it's just mostly like a note for note cover, which sounds great, but it still feels like he's holding something back, which, you know, obviously, as we discovered, you know, in later years was, you know, the fact that he was closeted and, um, you know, obviously that, you know, the fact that he was outed in such a terrible way as well, you know, like, um, I mean, he embraced it, you know, he he did a music video where he made fun of the incident, um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, certainly Brits loved about George Michael was his, his own kind of sense of humour about his, his own life. Um, but I, I, it just feels like there's not the same level of emotion in there as there would have been if, you know, he was allowed to kind of fully put himself into it. And I, I think that's something right. that's kind of missing with all the of the cover versions. You know, Peter Rampton sounds pleasant enough, but... I don't think he's ever... He's not convincing me that he's going to fall in love with anybody and it'll be forever. It's like, you know, apart from a talk box, obviously he fell in love with a talk box and that's been forever. But, you know, it's like... It just feels a little bit kind of restrained from everybody. It's like you're not really kind of 
being able to put yourself in there. And I think that's that's obviously the one thing that kind of sells this song is it's it's one hundred percent Stevie Wonder, probably one hundred and ten percent Stevie Wonder putting his emotions out there. And I think that's one of the strengths of the seventies Stevie Wonder stuff is you know he is so kind of you know he's literally like laying everything out bare. Um, you know, he married Cyrita and he was constantly singing about how much he loved her. He divorced Cyrita and he was constantly singing about how much they went through all these troubles. And then, you know, he met somebody else and then he starts singing about how much he loves them. You know, like he sang a few songs about Richard Nixon and made him resign. Like, you know, everything with Stevie was, you know, very much kind of like out there. There was nothing being held back. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's probably what's missing from any of these cover versions is just they're not. They all feel like they're they're kind of about seventy five percent. They just don't feel like they're fully, you know, got their hearts in them. Apart from the Macy Gray version, actually, I'd say Macy Gray feels like she's really, you know, putting herself into it. But it, uh, you know, it's not quite. I mean, you know, she's no Stevie Wonder, uh, but then nobody is. Yeah, exactly. Don't want any Stevie Wonder, and I think that's the problem that we've had with this, you know, society for the last forty years is nobody's been Stevie Wonder. I don't think there's anything else we can possibly say about this track. So um, let's go to plugs. Is there anything you wish to plug, Gina? Yes, I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, something that has absolutely nothing to do with the music of Stevie Wonder. Um, we talk about horror movies, uh, which we focus on the characters and the odd little background details in, in different movies. Uh, right now we're in the um, starting to get towards the end of the, the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Uh, so, yeah, you can look that up uh, under Kill by Kill. Uh, I am also a writer for um, The Spool, in which I uh, review movies and recap. I'm currently recapping um, His Dark Materials. Um, and I also have my own website, in which I write about movies and television and pop culture and pop culture at GinaRadcliffe.com. And you can find us on Twitter for this project at Sneaky Bob. Uh, thanks for being my guest here today, Gina. Thank you. And otherwise, goodbye.